friends, uh, some of you might know that uh, I'm planning to take some long service leave uh, at the end of the year. And so uh, my wife and I have been uh, planning uh, to visit uh, some other cities in the world. Uh, we've been enjoying, you know, booking flights. And, uh, we've been enjoying booking hotels and the thought of living out of a suitcase for a little while. And uh, we've been enjoying planning different places to visit and different uh, people to see. But whenever I'm uh, away in other cities for a long period of time, uh, I always enjoy that feeling of coming back home on the plane. Uh, you know that feeling I'm talking about? Uh, as you uh, fly back into Sydney and you look out the window and you see the familiar sight of, of the harbour and uh, you know, the wheels of the plane finally touch down and you realize you are home again. Coming home is a great feeling. For home is the place where you are close to the people that you love, close to family. Home is a place of rest after a long journey. Home is a place of security. But for many people, coming to Sydney it's not simply a nice feeling. Rather, it's actually a matter of life and death. I actually have a few friends who have come to Sydney from other parts of the world which have been in civil war. And so coming from another country to Sydney was actually a matter of life and death. I, I know there are some uh, people, uh, even in our Church of Nine family, who've come as refugees. And for them, it's been a matter of life and death. Uh, now, we've been working our way through the Old Testament book of Zechariah for the past few weeks. And uh, today, uh, as, uh, as I mentioned, we're having a look at this third vision that Zechariah has from God. And I want to suggest, uh, friends, that this passage is really all about which city the people of God are going to seek their security in. Which city the people of God are going to seek their security in. Uh, you can see there that this passage is all about two specific cities, can uh, you? can see there the city of Jerusalem, or Zion, uh, which is mentioned in verses 2 and 4 and 7 and 10 and 12. And you can see the city of Babylon, uh, or the land of the north, as it's described, which is mentioned in verses 6 and 7 and 9. And so the question for the people of God in this passage is really, will you seek your security in Jerusalem, which is God's city, or will you seek your security in Babylon, which is a godless city and the city of exile? And friends, so this is also a, a very important question for us. Where do you and I seek our security? Do we seek it? in a place that is secure, or do we seek it in places which one day will crumble before our eyes? And if we rightly understand what God has to say to us in this part of his word today, we will begin to see that this is a matter of life and death. Now, uh, if we turn our attention to the vision itself, we can see uh, that the vision that uh, Zechariah sees is all about the city of Jerusalem. 
uh, in verse 1, uh, Zechariah sees uh, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And in verse 2, when Zechariah asks him what he's doing, uh, the man with the measuring line says that he's going to measure the width and the, and the length of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, imagine a surveyor like Josh weighing, uh, wearing a car hat and a high beard vest and a pair of stubbies measuring the dimensions of this city. Uh, what is he actually doing? Well, presumably, uh, he's measuring this city because he, he wants to start building a wall around the city of Jerusalem. Uh, you might know that ancient cities like Jerusalem uh, were not the sort of um, sprawling metropolises that we see in our day and age, you know, the, the, the age of the, the mega cities. But uh, rather, in ancient times, uh, cities were walled cities. They all had high walls which were designed to, to keep enemies out. However, so you can see there in verse 3 that the angel who talks to Zechariah steps forward in this vision. Uh, you might remember that this angel that speaks to Zechariah uh, kind of pops up in, in many of the visions, and his role is to explain to Zechariah what the meaning of the, the vision actually is. But just to make things a little bit more confusing, another angel steps forward, and he gives this first angel, uh, the interpreting angel, a message uh, to pass onto an enigmatic young man. Now, uh, who is this young man whom the interpreting angel is to speak with? Well, most people who read this passage think that uh, the young man is obviously, you know, the, the man with the measuring line. However, I actually think that the young man here is not the man with the measuring line, but Zachariah himself. Uh, you might remember that Zachariah uh, is actually a young man when he begins his, his prophesying in Jeremiah. And so he kind of fits his age demographic. Uh, but even more than that, if the job of the interpreting angel is to help Zechariah to understand the vision, then it makes sense that this angel will be speaking to Zechariah, uh, revealing to him the meaning of his vision. But what is this interpreting angel to say to Zechariah? Well, you can see there in verse 4 that he says, Jerusalem doesn't need any walls. Why? Well, it's because Jerusalem is going to be a city with so many people and so much livestock that a wall can't contain everything in the city. Now, it's a picture of blessing and prosperity, isn't it? The multitudes of people remind you of, of God's promises to Abraham. Uh, it's a sign of human flourishing. Livestock or cows were the ancient equivalent of the Range Rover. Uh, it was a sign of wealth and prosperity. But even more, I want you to see that in verse 5, the reason why Jerusalem doesn't need a wall is it's because God promises that he himself will be that wall around Jerusalem. And he himself will be present in his city to protect his people, see, from outside threats. 
as I was uh, writing my sermon this week, um, I received an email from uh, my computer antivirus company um, asking me to renew my subscription if I wanted a firewall. Now, I, I have no idea what, what that is, but uh, I, I, I'm guessing it's some sort of protection uh, that keeps the computer safe from outside threats and, and viruses. Uh, you see, this is Zachariah's message, isn't it? Don't trust in man-made walls for your security. Don't trust in the work of your hands for your security. Rather, trust in God, for He promises to be that firewall that protects you from all threats. Now, it's not that there's anything wrong with building walls, uh, if you know your Old Testament. Um, does anyone remember doing the Old Testament start to build a wall in, in Jerusalem? Nehemiah, who is that? Is that you, Claire? Oh, thank you. Well done. Nehemiah is the one who later builds the walls of Jerusalem. But what God says here is now is not now is not the time to build that wall. Now is the time to build the temple, as we've been seeing in previous weeks. And so, rather than trusting the work of your hands for security around Jerusalem, trust in me. A few weeks ago, I watched the, the Seashells sermon by uh, John Piper, uh, who is a very well-known pastor in, in the U.S. Has anyone seen that sermon before? The one with the seashells? Uh, yeah, a few of us. Yep. Um, it's where Piper says that so many people in the West seek their security in things like having a nice house and a nice dog and a nice car, and a nice family, and a nice retirement, where you will spend the rest of your life playing golf and collecting seashells on the beach. And he takes this vivid picture of this man who has lived his life like this, a godless life, where it's been all about finding security in these things. And finally, after dying, he comes before his creator to give an account of his life. And when he is asked by God, what have you done with your life? He says, well, here it is, Lord. My seashells. And I've got a nice golf swing. And look at my boat. What Tracker is describing is the great tragedy of trying to find security in man-made things which one day will not provide you at the point at which you need security most of it. And that is before the judgment seat of God. Of course, the point is not that it's wrong to collect yourselves. But it is true that you can so seek your security in these things that you can forget about God and live in a way that completely ignores His purposes and is a life that is lived for yourself and 
the, 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 the Israelites. Uh, well, one way to read this passage um, is to understand the word to there as the word against. Uh, in the Hebrew language, it's possible to translate the word to as against, so that it reads that Zechariah was sent against the nations. It's kind of fits, doesn't it? Because Zechariah, up until this time, has been prophesying against the nations, the godless nations, and especially the nation of Babylon. And so what Zechariah is saying here is that he has been sent to prophesy against nations like Babylon because in plundering Jerusalem, nations like Babylon have actually touched what is precious to God, the apple of his eye, as Jerusalem is described in this passage. Further, uh, you can see in verse 9 what God actually says about Babylon. Uh, he says there that he's going to wave his hand metaphorically over the, over the Babylonians and they will become plunder for Jerusalem. In other words, God is going to destroy the Babylonians and they will become plunder just as the Egyptians became plunder for the Israelites way back in the Exodus. But friends, uh, there is a, another problem here, and I wonder whether you think about it. What's the problem? Well, as I mentioned not, not uh, uh, a, a few moments ago, you will know that when Zechariah started his ministry, some of the Jews had returned from Babylon to Jerusalem, while other Jews remained back in Jerusalem. And so here, what we see is Zechariah speaking God's word, telling those Jews back in Jerusalem, back in Babylon, to flee that city and come to Jerusalem. But here's the problem: Zechariah. Was a, was a prophet in Jerusalem. He never prophesied to the people in Babylon. And so how can it be that he addresses his prophecy to those people who are never going to hear him? You see the problem? Uh, when I was little, um, I used to do lots of stupid things, um, like hitting my sister uh, or drawing on the walls. But I remember uh, whenever I was about to do something stupid, uh, my parents did this thing where they picked up the phone and they started to talk to the police. Um, did your parents ever do this? Um, of course, they weren't really talking to a real policeman, but in talking to someone else, it was meant to be a warning to me not to do the stupid thing that I was about to do. Now, I think something similar is happening here. Uh, whilst Zechariah addresses the Jews back in Babylon not to leave, uh, not to flee Babylon and come to Jerusalem, it's not as though he's actually speaking to them, but his audience is the people in Jerusalem. And they would hear Zechariah's words as a somber warning to them 
also return to the city of Babylon, he said. Now, why would they be tempted to go back to a city like Babylon? Well, uh, if you have your Bibles there, uh, turn with me to uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. Let's do a little bit of Bible speaking today. Uh, come back to Jeremiah 29. Um, this is what the prophet Jeremiah says said earlier uh, to the Jews who were in exile in Babylon. And uh, in Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, we'll pick it up from verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4. Uh, this is what Jeremiah says to the Jews who, are in, who were in Babylon. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. You see, it is true that the Jews were sent into exile in Babylon as a punishment for their sins. But life for the Israelites was not necessarily that bad in Babylon. You know, they built houses, they planted gardens, they ran businesses, they put down roots. But for the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem from Babylon, life could not be more different. Life was hard. But their crops failed. Inflation was so high that money seems to dribble out of their pockets, as the prophet Haggai says. And their city lay as a pile of rubble and a laughing stock to the world. How tempting it must have been for the Jews who had returned to Jerusalem to return to Babylon. Now, of course, you and I don't live in the physical city of Jerusalem. But uh, if you belong to Jesus, then the New Testament reminds us that we do belong to God's heavenly city, which is called Jerusalem. In fact, you might remember that the writer of Hebrews says these extraordinary words to, uh, uh, to Christians in the letter to the Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, he says, But you, Christians, you have already come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Further, whilst the physical city of Babylon is no longer in existence, I couldn't find Babylon on Google Maps this week, Babylon does become symbolic for everyone in this world who has walked away from God and who is living for themselves. And is it not true that there are times when you and I who belong to this heavenly city of Jerusalem can sometimes look at our friends who live in Babylon 
actually also for that last of the years. Let's look back to ourselves. Uh, in my first group this week, I think all of our members said that we have had times when the non-Christian life looks very attractive to us. Sometimes being a Christian person can make life very difficult indeed, can it? And there are sacrifices to be made in following Jesus. There is sin to battle with and to fight. I need to look out not only for my own interests, but the interests of other people around me. But when I look over at my friends in Babylon, I often see them living for themselves and living a life of ease and enjoying every pleasure this life has to offer. It's very tempting for Now, it's not that Christians wake up one day and, you know, decide to get on a plane to Babylon. Rather, it's something that can happen little by little by little. It happens as we make little compromises in our Christian life. You know, little compromises when it comes to sin in our life. So we just choose to ignore sin in our lives. Or little compromises that, you know, puts our hobbies and our pleasures above the hard work of serving God and serving others. Coming to church. Yeah, you miss church one week, then it's so much easier to miss church for two weeks than the next three weeks. And little by little, it's possible to drift in such a way that many Christians leave Jerusalem for Babylon. Sadly, I can remember faces of friends who used to love Jesus but they now do for themselves. None of them walked away overnight. As slowly they drifted away. You know, it's a bit like those huge floaties that you see uh, on the beach. Have you seen those huge water floaties shaped like unicorns and flamingos and swans? I'm told it's very common for uh, these floaties um, to have people on them. And then before they know it, they're drifting kilometers out to sea in sharp, infested waters. It's because they drift little by little and put themselves in danger. But what God says here is, do not go back to Babylon. Do not make compromises in your Christian life. Do not drift little by little by little because you think Babylon is more attractive than Jerusalem. For Babylon is a city without a future. And one day it will be destroyed for its godlessness. While this city of Jerusalem, which may be very hard to live in at the present moment in time, will be transformed into God's glorious, prosperous, city with multitudes of people and 
lifting the argument. But finally, God's word to his people is not only a further warning, but a great cause for celebration in this passage. So notice in verse 10 that God's people are told to sing and to rejoice. Why are they told to do that? Well, it's because God promises that a future day is coming when He will come and He will be in the midst of His people. Now, you might remember from previous weeks that God has already returned uh, to Jerusalem uh, in terms of His relationship with them. He's no longer angry with them. He has forgiven them. But here, what he is saying is that a future day is coming when he will dwell with his people in a way that they have never experienced before. Further, that day will be glorious because in verse 11, people from many different nations will also find themselves to be a part of God's city in the city of Jerusalem. In other words, whilst God is going to judge Babylon, whilst God is going to judge the nations, there will be some from those nations who somehow find their way into the city of God. Verse 11 is actually an astonishing statement because it is the first time in the Bible where the nations, the Gentiles, are described by God as my people. So on that day, it will be evident that the people of God are precious and loved by God. Did you notice the beautiful words of verse 12? The people of Judah will be God's inheritance and portion. In the Old Testament, usually it's the Israelites uh, who are said to be given an inheritance in the, in the land of, of Palestine. But here, what we are told is that the people themselves will be God's inheritance. It's like a precious heirloom that has been passed down in the family of Ephesus. That's how much God loves his people and comes to them as precious. Similarly, the people of God will again be the objects of God's choice. He had rejected them in the exile. He says he will once again choose them on that glorious day. You see, this is where the people of God in Zechariah's day were to find real security. It wasn't to be the city of Babylon, it wasn't to be in the work of their hands, but it was to be found in God's choice of them as of course, uh, this future day that God spoke about to his people in Zechariah's day is already taking shape in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? It's taking shape as the gospel of Jesus and his grace towards sinners like you and me is proclaimed around the world. It's happening as people from the nations from every tribe and language and people and, and nation come to Jesus in repentance and faith. Even here we see Koreans and Chinese and Indians and Nepalese 
Japanese and Sri Lankans and Australians and even Atomics who has found his way into God's heavenly Jerusalem because of the love and choice of God in the gospel about the Jesus. But that day is also, in a sense, not yet here as well. For God still promises a day to come when we will live in this heavenly city for all eternity and where we will experience His presence and blessing in a way that is beyond imagining. And so, my brothers and sisters, if you are part of God's people, because you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your King and Savior, then know that God has promised you this glorious future in His city. And so do not be tempted to live for another city. Sing and rejoice in God's love and His choice and His affection of you in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. So we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us this morning, and we thank you especially for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in Him we have the great security of knowing that we are loved and chosen as your And we thank you that we have the great promise of seeing the heavenly Jerusalem in all its glory one day. And Father, we thank you that the greatest thing about the heavenly Jerusalem that we look forward to is not only its wealth and prosperity, but the fact that you will dwell with us for all eternity, and that you will wipe away every tear from our eyes, for death and sin will be no more. And Father, we thank you for this great promise, and we pray that you will help us to so delight in you and your love for us, that we will persevere in the Christian life, especially during those times when we are tempted to live, not for the Lord Jesus Christ, but for ourselves. Father, we pray in particular this morning for our brothers and sisters who may be drifting uh, in their Christian lives at the moment. Uh, we earnestly pray that you would help them and strengthen them and that they might hear the warning of your word so that they would not drift away 